So uh, as we uh, look at service and what the serving, the the church that serves, um, you know, this is a topic that can, uh, it's very broad. It's throughout the entirety of scriptures. And so uh, that that goes with it bringing a lot of scripture. So I know I typically can have a lot of, a lot of scripture, but the good news is I have PowerPoint this week with all the scriptures up there. So if I go a little fast, you will be able to see them up on the screen. Uh, So I do have that today, Uh, but let's go ahead and open in prayer. Dear Holy Father, we uh, thank you so much for today. Lord, we thank you for uh, everyone that's here, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can come together and worship you, Lord. We thank you that your son came down as a servant. Lord, that he came down to serve us. He did not come to serve, but to be, <laughs> to be served, but to serve, Lord. And we thank you so much for that, Lord, that his death on the cross has paved a way for us to be able to know you and to come to you, Lord. And Lord, as we look at service today, inspire us, Lord. Work in our hearts to be able to know what it is to serve you and what it is to serve one another, Lord. And we just thank you so much. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So as most of you know, a little under two months ago, I started to work as a chaplain full-time to patients on hospice care. And as I get ready to go out to see a new patient, there's two things that are always true. One, they're dying. And two, they've given a prognosis of 90 days or less to live. Now, we have patients that make it longer than that, and we have policies and procedures and things in place to, on how, how we go and handle care for, for a longer period of time. Unfortunately for the patient, all they know is that their days are coming to an end. <laughs> and this results in the patients having a broad spectrum, spectrum of responses to the prognosis. They range from denial to a fear of dying, anxiety to peace, apathy to fighting, isolation to reconciliation, and everything else in between. And these patients range from being absolutely lucid and ready to talk about their worries and fears to those that are completely unaware that I'm even there. And their faiths range from atheists to solid Bible-believing Christians, agnostics, Buddhists, Hindus, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Latter-day Saints, Catholics, and so many more. But for each and every patient that allow me into their home for the first time, it is my job to find out where they are in this process. And in the last three weeks, four interactions have given me an insight into the way the world views the church. Three of them are pretty typical of the negative ideas that people have of the church. And one of them, though it's negative, gives us an opportunity to figure out what to do and how to serve the people in the church. So the typical negatives, one patient, in asking about their faith background, told me that there's just so many hypocrites in the church, I just can't stand to go. Another patient said that the church has so many rules for what not to do that they never tell people the good things they should be doing. And the last one was this week, and it was a family who chose not to take their deceased loved one 
to the church for the funeral because the church is all about money. And they gave me a specific example of a church that would frequently contact the deceased while she was on, had been on vacation um, and, and wondering why she hadn't been giving. So I had to spend a great deal of time helping them and the patients and the families through the feelings and, and the worries and the things that, that are going on. But what I learned is church be warned. And this is the universal church, not just bridges. The world's watching us. And all too often, we're not putting our best foot forward. Fortunately, the last comment regarding the church really caught my ear, and it came from a patient's family member. She apologized me and was, to me and was lamenting for the state of her house. She'd been taking care of the patient for so long that her house had, had fallen into disrepair. And I politely said, you know what? I, I'm the one imposing on your house. I'm the one coming in and, and to, to visit you and coming into your house. And she turned to me and said, you're no imposition at all. She says, I wish more churches would do for families with ill family members what your company does. So let that sink in a little bit. She said, I wish that more churches would do for families with ill members what your company does. And we could substitute ill family members for anything. Shut-ins, hurting, grieving, broken, jobless. Just imagine for a second any number of circumstances. Why do we not visit more? Why are we comfortable to stay where things are easy for us rather than pushing us in our comfort zones? Why do some of us not ask for help? I guarantee you that the patients I'm seeing were not seeking me out before their prognosis. It took dire circumstances for them to seek me out. And how many of you would have been critical walking into the person's house because it was in disrepair? How many don't want to ask for help because you do not want to be judged by the state of your house? Ephesians 4.29 is always on my mind as I enter a house. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I have to be of the mind that I never know the full story of their lives, to ever be critical of their situation or circumstance. What their house looks like today does not tell the full story of what happened yesterday. Such is the same in the Christian life. What a person struggles with today does not tell the story of what they overcame yesterday. So with that said, how does the church change the perception of a culture that assumes that the church is full of hypocrites, that they are all about the money, and that they know they are no more for what they are against rather than what they are for? How do we show them who we really are? Sinners saved by grace. So while the Christian life is based on salvation through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that faith is demonstrated to the world through our works, which is our service. It's the fruit we show to the world. And it's motivated out of our love for God, just as Cliff mentioned last week in his sermon, that we do these things because we love God. 
And the Bible, the New Testament specifically, shows how service is an integral part of the Christian faith, both individually and as a church body. Thus, God grants that service that is motivated by a love for him will make us more like Christ. And what better way to start this brief examination of service by the greatest example of service that comes in Christ? So Philippians 2, 4 to 11 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have, his, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And we talked about that already, about the God-glorifying church. And so as we look at the service and Jesus being a servant, we see the importance of him being a servant and how that glorifies God. And though we can have full sermon series on this text alone, the key elements to this passage I want to focus on are Jesus taking on the form of a servant, Jesus humbling himself to the point of death, and that we are to be and have this mind about us. I would not be underselling it to say that serving and humility have a direct correlation throughout the Bible. When talking about greatness in the kingdom with the disciples, Jesus states continually and in multiple different ways that the greatest is the one that is humble. It's the one who puts himself last. That is the one who is the true servant. That is the one who is the greatest. So in order to serve, we have to be humble. And humility defined in this passage is looking to the interests of others. And this is the mindset we are to have first and foremost. We cannot truly serve others when we are selfishly focused because we will continually be thinking about what I should gain. What am I going to get in return for this service? How does this benefit me? We're not loving God when we're in that moment. So as we look first here in services, is what does service do for us? So the first point here is, is serving one another will ultimately bring about unity. Okay, Galatians 5, 13 to 15 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In the context of this passage, Paul is writing to the Galatians regarding the Judaizers who have been attempting to make the Gentiles follow the Jewish law. So when Paul comes to the statement about not having your freedom be an opportunity for the flesh, he's telling the Galatians, don't take the opportunity to control one another. Don't come and tell people what a law is that they need to be doing that God is not holding them to. 
That is the purest form of legalism is when we're forcing somebody to follow a law and determining it as being God's law when God has made no statement of it. I remember listening to KKLA when I used to drive around for my dad for work and uh, listen to different preachers throughout the year, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, uh, Greg Laurie, all, all these different guys, Alistair Big. Um, and one particular pastor was, he was particularly legalistic. I don't remember his name, um, but he was always, always seemed angry all the time in his messages. But he, he railed against secular music and R-rated movies and said that no Christian should ever be a part of this. And then the passion of the Christ came out. <laughs> Sorry. And he was confronted now. He's like, he wants to support this movie, but it's rated R. And I've been saying all along, we can't watch these movies. And it was, it was funny to me to go, well, you've been, I mean, some movies are R for one reason, and yeah, maybe we shouldn't watch it, or maybe you're convicted not to watch it, but some, maybe they're okay. And so maybe you can do that. And so there's freedom there. So here this guy should have these freedoms in Christ, and yet he's trying to bind people's consciences. So when we allow our preferences and traditions to become laws, we lose our common ground with other believers. Setting our preferences and traditions aside to serve others requires that we have that mindset of humility. And we approach each other in humility. We allow unity to overcome preference and tradition. Therefore, we must come to the place in our lives with each other that we serve one another humbly so that we can set aside those preferences and bring unity within the church. As we focus on being humble and putting others first, it allows us to serve one another when it is also not easy. Thus, we must serve one another by helping one another and recognize or even recognizing each other's sin and struggles in our lives. Because serving one another actually brings about sanctification as we look at various verses. And our sanctification is important. It's an important idea in Christianity. Right? It's, it's the process of us being made holy, being more like Christ. It's an ongoing process throughout our lives that we go through this process until we're finally may ultimately made perfect at the end when we're with Christ. And in Galatians 1 through 5, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And then in dealing with church discipline, as Jesus says in Matthew eighteen fifteen, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Part of our serving one another is through correction, building up, encouragement, and accountability. And in our unity as fellow believers, we have certain responsibilities to one another. Here we are to to have the responsibility of, of daily here in Galatians, of daily carrying our load. We have things that, that we are responsible for in our lives that we need to take care of, our families, uh, you know, the, the, our jobs. The, we have the basic things that are our load that we handle and that we take care of. But sometimes things can happen to us in life that become a burden, that are too difficult for us to carry on our own. 
And that's where the body of Christ is there to step in and help carry that burden that is just too heavy on us. And if you think about it, I'm sure you could easily come up with a burden in your life that you needed help with. And as we look at these two passages, we see that some of the serving one another here is through this confrontation. It seems odd, but at the same time, Proverbs goes to this. Proverbs 27, 17 states that where iron sharpens iron, so another man sharpens another. One man sharpens another. This is why we must first come to the place of unity in Christ so that we know what, what, are the, what are the things that we're struggling with? What are the sins? What are the things that are difficult? And what are the preferences? We need to separate those so that we're unified so that when somebody is struggling with something or somebody is dealing with something, we can truly come and help them in those times. But that also helps us because as we serve, it allows us to be vulnerable enough with that person to have relationship so that we can be corrected, so that we can move forward to be more Christ-like. So when Christ is our common ground, we begin to establish those relationships. And these two passages are talking about restoration. And this idea is seen even greater in Matthew 5, 23 to 24, when Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is a higher standard than mere forgiveness. It goes far beyond the idea of forgiving and forgetting. Michael Todd Wilson and Brad Hoffman, in a book called Preventing Ministry Failure, state that asking for forgiveness directly to say, will you forgive me, can be manipulative. Especially when it comes by the offender because it can bring about premature forgiveness. Because they want an answer before the offended party has had time to process what has gone on. How were they offended? They say that the offender's part is to confess and repent so that the reconciliation process can come to its full. So that we move beyond just forgiveness but bring the relationship back to where it was in in reconciliation. And regardless of which side of the confrontation you're on, it requires humility in order to in order to fulfill the directives of serving one another towards sanctification. And each of these passages point to the need of lovingly confronting sin and bringing the person back into relationship. So in confronting, there is, there, there, we, each person carries a burden. Though the offended to respond and the offender to apologize. Now, once we have developed strong relationships within the body of Christ, we begin to see God's plan for service towards the world. Serving others allows us to demonstrate, demonstrate Christ's love to our neighbors. Philippians 2, 4-6 through 6 says, Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of, his, of others. We read that earlier. And then in John 13, 34-35, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, also, (laughs) sorry, you also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Just to reiterate, looking back at Philippians 2 in, uh, there, and in verse 4, it says, we are to begin looking to the interests of others. It is through this interest that our love for one another shows that we are Christ. We are to love one another as Christ loved us. He loved us to the point of death. This is a high standard to reach, and we demonstrate that love when we act, when we serve. When the world sees who we are, but we must also remember that people are aware when our love is not genuine. If you had that friend who calls every so months to check up on you, then you quickly realize that they're just calling to figure out the next product they want to sell you. Are they really a friend? Do they really care? Have you had that friend who comes over and fills the air with their problems, but they never ask about you? There's so many ways to keep from being genuine. But oftentimes we can even be, not be genuine to ourselves. And there was a good example for this on CBS the other night. Uh, there's a show out called Big Bang Theory. If you haven't seen it, the show is focused on, on Sheldon Cooper and his group of friends. Uh, Sheldon's extremely intelligent. He has a memory that allows him to have nearly, nearly perfect recall. But he has little to no social graces or emotional intelligence. The guy just cannot connect to figure out why people are upset with him, and this guy just struggles. And his friends are constantly having to adjust to his likings, to what he wants to do throughout the show. Sheldon's an atheist, and his mom is an extremely religious Christian, and, they, and she's often mocked in the show. But last year, they, they did a spinoff show, show called Young Sheldon that goes through his childhood. In a recent episode, there was a young girl that... that <laughs> that died in a car accident, and Sheldon's mother is completely distraught. So she goes to the t- and talks to the pastor, and the pastor's advice to help her get over the emotional tension she's feeling of the unfairness towards God, and that her faith in the moment is just not enough to get her through. His advice is to say, roll up your sleeves and get to work. Go help the needy, feed the homeless, start a Bible study, hug a stranger, (laughs) and tell them God loves them. This sends her on an obviously disingenuous series of activities, and they're wearing her down. And it's not until she has a near breakdown in her faith, goes out partying, (laughs) and gets honest with God about her feelings that she's able to come with the grips of the loss. As believers, we need to stop wearing masks and putting on fronts for people so that the honest person can come out. Acts has a great example. It's one of my favorite stories. It's kind of funny. Of disingenuousness. It's in Acts 13 to 17. What didn't go too well for these brothers. It says, And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? 
And the man in whom the evil spirit, uh, in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they were. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. These guys were calling on the name of Jesus and they didn't even know him. They had no clue. They had no power. And that spirit, that evil spirit, knew there was no genuineness in them. And so loving and serving one another helps us to to demonstrate the love of Christ. And our love shows that we are his. But when we serve out of wrong intentions, we provide fuel for those that say, the church is full of hypocrites. So they pray that the Lord will allow you to serve others from a heart of humility and genuine interaction so you can show the love of Christ. And as we demonstrate this love for God, he can do mighty things in us. This is where serving the community brings about gospel-sharing opportunities. Acts 9, 32-35 says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. When Peter goes and serves Aeneas, People, the people of Lydda and Sharon take notice. They see this man of God, that this man of God did amazing work for their neighbor, and they turned to the, to the Lord that healed him. And it came through an open and willing heart of Peter to go and serve. And while this is a supernatural healing, God still uses the ordinary example of love and service to open the door to the gospel. Mike and Diane Meager are missionaries to Siberia. In an interview with Steve Brown, they tell, uh, they, they tell a story of how serving opened a door for them. Mike says, God protected us supernaturally. The day we showed up in the black hole to live there, a delegation came to visit us from a town across the river. And they made it very clear to us in no uncertain terms that we were never to bring our filthy message and our filthy presence into their village. We are not welcome, and they walked away. He said that was an opportunity to pray. He said, so I got on my knees from that point, and I was praying mostly for that village. About a year later, a mother of 11, (coughs) 11 children, her husband had a broken back and couldn't work, and she was the breadwinner of the family. Most of the people there drink, and it was the middle of the winter. She got drunk and went outside to go to the outhouse, slipped, hit her head, and froze to death. We got word of this late at night. So Vasily, the man who lives with us, and I looked at each other, and we didn't have to say a word. We immediately went out to my four-wheel drive van, and we filled it with all of the river fish that we had caught for our winter supply. All of our food to feed the families we fed, filled up my van with it, snuck across the river, and got to this house. 
<coughs> Sorry. We started building a coffin for this lady. We started ministering to her children. And after I'd give each of, given each of them, of the little ones, uh, a picture Bible, and we loved on them and finished the box to bury her in, we took the children outside and we emptied the van of all the fish so they could live and eat for the rest of the winter. Three days later, that same delegation that had come a year ago came and knocked on the door at my house and said, we did not know that yours was a religion of love. You can come to our village anytime you wish. He says, that is one of the hundreds of stories that God did over the last 12 years. I think this interview was in 2008. He says, as we genuinely serve God, and serve others, God will make the way for us to share his message. He wants us to serve him. He wants us to share his message. But he also wants us to see the power in what he does. There are amazing things that he does. To see a patient come to grips with the prognosis and to have peace is amazing. To see them go from fear to peace and take them from one stage to another is amazing. To walk in with a family who's just lost someone and to let them tell their stories is amazing for me. And so there are so many times that as we go and serve people, that the door opens. Now I'm not saying go and visit the, the sick and dying. I know that's not for everyone. I'm noticing it's quite unique with how many chaplains kind of overturn uh, right now. I can tell you I love it. <clears throat> There's so many opportunities to share by just listening. And there's times I cannot even Share the gospel if they tell me no. But listening opens the door later. Had a patient who kind of kicked Rodney and I out after about 15 minutes. It was in my training. Um, she had a issue she had really affected her appearance. And she was embarrassed. And uh, so we're out there talking with her and trying to, trying to work with her and all. Um, but she just really didn't want us there that day. A lot of people have been coming in and out. It's the first couple, which happens the first week they're on service. And the next week she calls. And, and Rodney gets the call and she says, you know, I think I was really rude. I'd really like when you to come out. And we put them on about a one month rotation is how it works for us. And so it came time to get her, to, to, to see her again. And I called up and I said, hey, I'd like to come and visit. I know you said you might want to see one of these again. Is this a good week? And the eagerness in his voice is, oh yes, is tomorrow too soon? And then when I got to the house that next day, she just opened up to talk about what she was worried about, what she was fearing. And I was able to, by the end of it, really help her out. And that is, there, there's so much there of the gospel and the love that comes. And I'm blessed by these patients every time I'm there. So as you find where God has you, as we'll talk about here in a minute, actually, um, 
Pray that God will make you aware of where those gospel-sharing opportunities are in your life. And just as he, just as serving allows us to demonstrate his love, serving also helps demonstrate our, our faith, right? James 2, 14 to 20. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works? Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And James goes on to talk about Abraham and where his, his faith was in believing God. But the demonstration of faith is often spoke of as the person that bears fruit, Right? And, and when we think of bearing fruit, you know, here at Riverside, it's all, it, longest time it was citrus. We have, you know, orange groves all over the place. And, and you know, if you go out over to, to Redlands, they have avocados and citrus there. And we have a lot of produce that grows. It used to be more in Ontario at one time. And, and bearing fruit is a good thing for these trees. And if they don't, just down the street, we saw it a couple years ago, they cut the trees down. They're no good. They're worthless. And so in the Christian life, we're, we are to bear fruit. And bearing fruit is our works. It's that. It's our service. It's what bears us out as Christians. It's what the world is able to see. Kind of think of it this way. Most of you know I love my wife and girls. If you ask the coworkers of Destiny, they will attest to this. By how often I'm sharing pictures and stories of everything that's going on, especially with the new baby in the house. They, they love to hear it. They, they love seeing the pictures of, of, of Avalon smiling and the girls holding her and reading to her, and they love it. However, there she goes right now. <laughs> However, the case would be different if I were to only ever talk about sports, movies, cars, or any other hobby in life. And never mention that I had a family. In fact, they would probably be pretty shocked to find out I had a family if I never talked about them, right? My love for my family flows out to sharing about them and telling the cute stories. I would not demonstrate my love for my wife and children if all I did was talk about them and complain either. Oh, she did this to me. Or, oh, the girls are doing this or that. If, I, if that's all I ever did, that wouldn't demonstrate my love either. Neither would I demonstrate my love for my wife if I was hanging out with some other lady. Right? But how often do we do this to God? Do people know we are Christians during the rest of the week? So as James writes... He's demonstrating the importance of faith. But faith that is fleshed out in service and works. He provides those examples. He provides that it is the works that demonstrate it. It's not, it's not 
that salvation without works is dead. It's our faith. Our faith shows it. We are saved. We are fully confident in salvation in Christ alone. And it's through the love of Christ that motivates us to do the works, that motivates us to service. And that's what we need to be doing. So this week, this week, and as we go on, as you think about this, here, how can I live my faith to display so that others see? How can I serve others so that they see my faith? And as we serve, all of us have different gifts. All of us have different talents. And each one is designed to build up the body of Christ. So we have a kind of a long, long time of scripture reading here. So, so Hebrews 10 23, 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet each other, or not not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to 26. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If, and then James 1, 26 to 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his, uh, <coughs> but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. So, everything kind of leading up to here has been what we do individually. How do we serve by ourselves? And now since we're talking about the church and that's the, the series that we're doing, um, how does this then transfer? Okay, this is service. This is what it does for us. And these verses are really going to give us that. How, do, how does that look in the church? And I think, I think the 26th there in Corinthians, what was telling when I read it, that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That really brings home a deep-rooted connection for the body of Christ and serving one another and taking care of one another. And the glorious thing 
about having unity in Christ that we talked about at the beginning is that we have people of all backgrounds, ethnicities, cultures. And God has used that and designed that to ensure that a multiplicity of gifts exist in the church so that people of all walks of life can be reached. And so as we look at the rest of Corinthians, we really see that we need everybody. Right? And even here, in what we do, no job should ever be viewed as being less honorable. And this is significant. I think oftentimes we want to go, oh, the preacher, he, he did a great job. You know, we have these celebrity preachers and, and, that we have and these guys. And I listen to them. A lot of them are great. Uh, they, have, they have great things and, and we want to lift them up. But when it comes to it, that's the easy honorable position that's easy to honor. But what about the person that's scrubbing the toilet? What about the person that's never seen? What about the people that fill the communion cups? In the back, what about those that are praying Sunday morning for everybody that nobody ever sees? We have ways that people serve that oftentimes we never know about. And do we always honor them? So I think this is, this is key to, to, to the unity is being able to honor all and rejoice with all of them. You know, I, I, in, in my master's degree, doing my MDiv, uh, one of the, the classes I had to do was leadership. And we had this book um, called uh, Team Dynamics, I think was, or sorry, The Ideal Team Member, I think was the name of the book. And, and we're going through and they're talking about how they develop a team. And as they look at how they develop the team, they, they had this one guy that they were like, okay, he'd be great for it. He'd be, be this awesome guy. And they come in and they do this multiple range of interviews. So he's interviewing with everybody from the, from, um, the CEOs to the, the field guys and all this. And the guy seems to be getting along with everybody. And they're like, he seems like a good fit, but the, the, the head guy was like, something feels off. So they went and talked to the secretary. And see what it was. And she said, oh no, something seems off about the guy. And so they, they told him, okay, they, they kind of conspired this plan to figure out, okay, how is this guy really with people? And so they told him, hey, you need to go see so-and-so to pick up this information for the next interview. He looks at him and goes, who's that? He had seen this lady every single time he came in for the interview. She was there at the front desk every time, and he never treated her well. He didn't treat her bad, but he never went out of the way to even know her name. And so I think sometimes we can error to that to, okay, well, we're serving. And I know I've been guilty of this. I get busy of not thanking people. And, and to those I may not have, thank you for all your work in the church. I know that, that, that we have so many people that do so much for us. But how can we honor each other in things. Because when we can honor each other, it helps us to be able to serve one another better. And how do we then serve the least of us? I think James is key here.
there's often times where doing certain service is noble. It looks great. And we, won't, we, can, we go out and do it. We have fun with it. Wednesday, or on Wednesday, it's going to be a great, great amount of fun. We get to see people. The Dodgers do okay. We might watch a game that night. Doesn't look like it at the moment, but <laughs> um, we might be able to watch the game Wednesday night because that would be game seven. Um, but, but we're going to have a lot of fun. We get to see people from the community, and that's great. But a lot surrounds trunk or treat. A lot of us show up. We have our trunk there, clean our trunk up, we leave. But there are still tables down here, there's trash cans, there's trash all over the field, there's all kinds of other things going on, and we just forget about it because we go our own on our way. And so there are so so that so there are harder jobs that are there in, in that. But then we have other jobs that are outside of trunk or treat that we don't think about. And back to my story of hospice in the patient saying that I wish more churches went and visited people. Nobody sees it. Nobody notices it. Nobody's there to give us praise when we do those things. So I think we go, well, it's not important. But when we think into Scripture, we notice that it's those that do things in secret that are honored by God. And though He is the one that we want to seek to honor first before any man or anyone here. And so, how are we doing? And typically, I think we do pretty good. They say that, that most churches have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. When we do a big event, we got a lot of people that are out working. And I thank Bridges so much for that. I, I have always been impressed where we're with the amount of people that are solid, ready to go and work at our events. And I know I, exa- I have exhausted you from time to time when I do things back to back and, and really close together. And so we've tried to space them out a bit. But I think we do really well with our events and trying to serve and trying to get out and meet people. I think we do a really, really good job. And we had a great showing. I, didn't, I, you know, I hadn't been here for, for the week. Didn't know what I was going to have for volunteers too much. I hadn't even looked at the sign-up sheet uh, last Sunday. And we had a great amount of people. We could only have four people there as it was uh, per Stater Brothers uh, at a time. And, and we were full all day long. And it was great. And we gave a lot of bags away. And everybody was engaging with the people. And it was awesome. And we loved it. And I know that, that Trunk or Treat will be great. Because it always is. We've always done a great job. The community knows we do it. When we're there doing the bags, back in Easter time, they knew, oh yeah, you're the church that does the trunk or treat. So they knew it. They were aware of it. And it was great. But what can we do more on our own and as a church that the, that the people in the community will go, that church does this. Not that church believes this. Not, oh, that church doesn't like this. Or that church, does, you know, whatever preference we may have. But that church cares for people this way. So in our values, you got the I. It's including all in ministry. Including members in ministry. 
Cliff, myself, the elders, we can only do so much. But as we've seen, it is all of our jobs to be involved, to serve. That's what shows us that we are His. So let's start praying individually and corporately together that the Lord will lead us into the opportunities to join in service and be unified as a body so that we can demonstrate the love of Christ. I think too often we can get stuck in a separation mode. Guys are doing this, ladies are doing this, kids are doing this. I want to see a church where the youth and the adults and the little kids are all out serving together. Because I know for me, and one thing I've learned, so so my oldest patient so far, 98-year-old guy, he's actually coming off service this week. I'm bummed because I really wanted to go see him again, but he's coming off because he's doing great. He was mad last time I went because they took his car away. 98 years old. I learned so much from him by going and visiting him. And young guys, young kids that are in here, go talk to these to to, to the to your elders. Go talk to our seasoned members in uh, in the faith, our brothers and sisters in the faith, because they have so much life experience. Serve one another in ways that we can. You may not be able to do it physically, but man, you can sure teach them something. Sometimes the youth, or it's great for the youth to be able to encourage the experienced generations by the work that they're able to do. And sometimes we need the the, the experienced generations to motivate the younger generations to serve the Lord. And we can see this in Timothy and Titus as we go out to make sure that we are serving together so that we can see that this faith works. I think we are in a crisis in our youth today because they don't see it. But this faith is amazing. What we have is an amazing faith. Yet we've isolated one another so much we're so compartmentalized that we don't even Ben Sass, he's a, I think he's a senator, happened to come across a, a quick little interview of him. He wrote a book. I don't even know the name of the book, but I remember the, uh, the, the, the question. He says, well, you, we used to have I Love Lucy. We had three channels. And so even when we disagreed, we had I Love Lucy to connect with. So even if you disagreed on politics or religion or anything else, you had I Love Lucy. You could connect with that on, on the next day. And now we have hundreds of channels and there's no common ground anywhere. So as a church, let's live our service in the direction that brings us to a common ground. Because having a common ground of Christ changes everything. Everything can be reconciled. Everything can be brought together if we have Christ as our common ground. Because everything is insignificant. Everything else will fail us, but Christ won't. So let's work on our service being uniting us. Let's use our service to help each other grow in sanctification. Let's use our service to show our neighbors how much we love them. 
Let's serve the community so that we can have gospel sharing opportunities so that we can see people come to faith. Let's demonstrate our star faith through our service. And let's come together as a church and serve and love together. Who can you serve this week? Who can you serve today? How can you serve this week? Go and serve the Lord today through acts of service to one another. God has designed service as a benefit benefit to both the helper and those being helped. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much again, Lord. We thank you for your son, Lord. Lord, the work on the cross, Lord, his death, his burial, his resurrection, Lord, that is the common uniting thread of all believers here today and all believers across the world, Lord. Yeah, we may have different ideas, different different preferences, different traditions, different, different ideas of things that we may do, but we have you, Lord. Help us learn to be humble, to have that as something that is always on our mind. Lord, that our humility is always there as a mindset to, to move us forward, to serve one another, so that we can think about others first, that we can think about you first, and we can worship you. But Lord, that our first instinct is not, how did I get offended? Or what, what can I go do today? But what can I do for somebody else? And sometimes, Lord, that's simply, what can I do for my kids? For the mom who's home with her kids, Lord, this message could seem big. And Lord, sometimes it's simply that. How can I be humble enough to serve my kids today? Lord, we thank you so much that you have brought us salvation, that you sought us out, and that you are a mediator for us to come to the Father, Lord, to be able to to come honestly in all our pain, in all our struggles, in all our worries, but also in our joy, in our rejoicing, in our happiness, Lord, that we can come to you with anything and that you're there and you're listening. And that as we struggle, Lord, that you're patient and you're long-suffering with your children, Lord. And we thank you for that. So, Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord. Pray that you just bless them this week, Lord. Lord, bless them to go out, to love you, to love others, Lord, and to really demonstrate that they're yours. So we thank you so much, Lord, and and, uh, we just uh, lift this day up to you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.